Today is, as you well know, Palm Sunday. Amen. You know, uh, I title, don't, don't pay too much attention to the titles of the sermons. I, I, I title things. I just, I see something in the message and I go, you know what, that's the title and I, I go with it. You'll see why Dirt and Flowers became the name of this message on Palm Sunday a little later on. I want to tell you a little story first. A little boy was sick on Palm Sunday, and he stayed home from church with his mother. His father returned from church holding a palm branch. You remember when I was a kid down in the south, if you went to church on Palm Sunday, you got a palm branch. Now, it was easier down in Florida because how many of you know we had a lot of palm branches down there, right? So getting a palm branch, it didn't cost nobody nothing, you know. Now, up here, we don't have, I, I, don't, I haven't seen any palm branches up here, all right? Uh, so the little boy was curious and asked his dad, why do you have that palm branch, Dad? He says, well, you see, when Jesus came into town, everyone waved palm branches to honor him, so we got palm branches today. The little boy replied, all shucks, the one Sunday I miss is the Sunday that Jesus shows up. <laughs> So as many of you know, it's Palm Sunday. It's the day taken from the Gospels where a whole city threw a parade for Jesus. As Jesus rode into the city, the people threw palm branches in anticipation of his coming. Thus we get our, our phrase, Palm Sunday. The day marked a time of celebration where Jesus was the worshipped and praised one. Isn't that powerful? This day is kind of bittersweet for us because even as we read of the celebration, we know that Friday is coming. The cross is coming. We know that many in this same crowd will within a few short days exchange words of praise to words of death. Shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna! Then later shouting, crucify him, crucify him. What I want to do today is I want to focus our attention on two services, both of which focused upon Jesus, but with two entirely different results. If you have your Bibles today, I want you to turn, first of all, to Luke chapter 19. And we're also going to flip back to Matthew chapter 27, but we're going to look at these two events from two different aspects here. Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. We're going to begin reading verse 28. Luke 19, verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet set. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it, and as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road, and as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent the very stones would cry out. 
Mm, isn't that powerful? Go back to Matthew with me. Matthew chapter 27. And this is just a few days later. Here's what's going on. In Matthew 27, verse 11, Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast... The governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they uh, had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. And of course, I'm going to stop there, but of course, they didn't choose Jesus, did they? They chose Barabbas. You do understand that it was not because they loved Barabbas, but they hated the truth. They didn't love Barabbas. They hated the truth. I think that's a powerful indictment. Amen? The great evangelist who you hear me quote quite often, the great evangelist Billy Graham, has been quoted many times. You not, you've got to focus on this with me. Billy Graham has been quoted many times as saying that the greatest mission field in our country today is in our local church. The people sitting already in our churches. I'm sorry, I had to, every now and then, I just get choked. Now, I'm not sure. Well, I am sure. I believe I started to say I'm not sure whether the statement's true or not, but I am sure. It's true. It's true. Here's what I wrote. Now, I'm not sure whether this statement is true or not, but I'm convinced that it is. But one thing that I do know is that many people know what to say, how to say it, even how to act in it. But when the rubber truly meets that road, there's no personal relationship with Jesus Christ. No salvation. Are you hearing me? No salvation, just empty words. We see a perfect example of this in our two passages that we just read this morning. On Sunday, Jesus rode into the city with the people shouting praises and praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. On Friday, they're shouting, Give us Barabbas. We want him. Crucify Jesus. Crucify him. Why the change? Well, there are many possible reasons, but one simple reason is that their words did not match their heart. Are you hearing me? Their words did not match their heart. They possessed a casual not a committed faith. They had religion, but they missed the person Jesus. So how can we have a committed faith? How can we be real and sincere, consistent in all that we do? Well, this morning I want to offer to you some keys to just 
such a faith. Now, let me warn you ahead of time. Let me just warn you ahead of time. Uh, some of these points you've heard before. I, I'm not stuck like a, a rat on a wheel, uh, a mice on a reel, mouse on a reel, in a you know wheel in a cage. I'm not stuck. But but sometimes I I, I have to confess to you that I believe that I, I sense people aren't hearing me. You know, eyes are open, people are looking up at me, but they're not hearing me, you see. So we get some of the same points over again, right? Until they really sink down on the inside of us, all right? Number one, key. A committed faith is not self-centered, it is Christ-centered. It's not self-centered, it's Christ-centered. Now, this sounds obvious, but we often miss it. In America, we tend to say to God, hey God, here's my calendar, here's my agenda. Now I can squeeze you in here and I can squeeze you in there. Pulling God out or turning to God only when it's convenient or useful. In our passage, the people praised Jesus as he passed by, but many of them praised him for two reasons. Here's a sub point A. First of all, because of the miracles. And I'm telling you, you better pay attention to that. I believe with all of my heart that there's going to be an outpouring of the Holy Ghost in this place and in this country, in this world. And many people are going to get healed because when the Holy Ghost shows up, first of all, sin, it's difficult to stand in the presence of the Holy Ghost. And then second of all, sickness and disease can't stand up to the power of the Holy Ghost. So what happens is people start getting healed and people start getting saved. But I'm telling you, people flock to the miracles of healing more than they flock to the miracles of salvation. Because healings don't make much demand on your life, but salvation makes many demands on your life. We're Americans, though. We don't want, to, we don't want people placing demands on our lives. We want to do it our way. We want to have it our way. Right? But it didn't always unfold that way. He had healed the sick, raised the dead. They praised him because he was serving them. And B, because they saw in Jesus a way to be politically delivered from the Romans. Do you know God had spoiled the Hebrews? God had spoiled the children of Israel. They wanted him to show up and deliver them from the Romans just like he delivered them from the Egyptians. He did it before. He can do it again. That's why one of the reasons why they rejected Jesus was he made demands on their lives and he didn't deliver them from the Romans. But what they didn't understand was that Jesus came to deliver us from everything that isn't godly in our lives. Whether you title it Egyptian or whether you call it Roman or whatever else in the world you want to call it. Whatever label you want to use. Amen? Because they saw in Jesus a way to be politically delivered from the Romans. Their praise was tempered with the attitude of Jesus. What can you do for me? A few days later at the trial, they saw a beaten and disfigured Jesus. A man who no longer looked like a deliverer or a conqueror. And as words were said about him, they bought into all the lies and quickly changed their position. For them, it was all about me, me, me. There's a legend about an ancient village in Spain. The villagers learned that a king 
their king was going to pay them a visit. And in a thousand years of history of Spain, no king had visited this particular village. Excitement grew. We got to throw a big celebration. The villagers all agreed. But it was a poor village and there weren't many resources. Someone came up with a great idea. Since many of the villagers did make their own wines, the idea was for everyone in the village to bring a large cup of their choice wine to the town square. We'll pour it into a large vat and offer it to the king for his pleasure. And when the king draws wine to drink, it will be the very best he's ever tasted. The day before the king's arrival, hundreds of people lined up to make their offering to the honored guest. They climbed a small stairway and poured their gift through a small opening at the top. Finally, the vat was full. The king arrived, was escorted to the square, given a silver cup, and was told to draw some wine which represented the best the villagers had. He placed the cup under the spigot, turned the handle, and then drank the wine but it was nothing but water. You see, every villager reasoned, I'll withhold my best wine and substitute water. What with so many cups of wine in the vat, the king will never know the difference. The problem was, everyone thought the same thing, and the king was greatly greatly dishonored um i gotta stop right there for a second you you think well that that's a neat little fictitious story about a village in spain i'm telling you this describes perfectly what's been happening in the church in america do you understand that god himself shows up in our services to taste something to taste the best of what we've got to offer him. Amen? And many times, it's just the same old, plain, drab water. God help us. God forgive us. Today, Palm Sunday in 2021, let's choose to honor the great King, Jesus Christ, by giving him our very best withholding nothing, giving him our all. The second key is a committed faith. A committed faith. Uh, the, the second key in a committed faith is relationship-driven. It's relationship-driven. Uh, how many times have you heard me say that in the last couple of years? What, how many times do we have to say it's all about relationship? It's not about that... You know, I, I prayed this little prayer one day. I signed this card and everything's hunky-dory. Um, I'm going to tell you something. We, you know, I, I want everybody to go to heaven, but I know everybody's not going to heaven. I just wonder how many people are going to show up there, you know, on that great day and be surprised when they don't get in. Now, now, there's a danger in me saying that, but it's the truth. The danger is even people, you know, who are committed get concerned. The devil likes to try to come to you. and Don't let the devil lie to you. If you feel concerned about what I just said, get right with God. Just get right with God and quit worrying about it. All right? All you got to do is cast everything over on him, you know, and build on that relationship. Let him build on that relationship with you. It's not rocket surgery or rocket science or whatever you want to call it. All right?
or brain surgery and all those mixed in. Amen? It's just you getting with God and letting God be God. Amen? So, a committed faith is relationship-driven. Many of those who gathered to throw their coats and palm branches onto the street and who shouted praises did so because it was the popular thing to do at the time. At that one brief moment, it became trendy. Perhaps some began doing it with sincere motives, but others soon did it because others were doing it. Later at the trial, shouting crucify him was the thing to do. In fact, for a brief moment, it was the trendy thing to do to make a mass murderer and a criminal their hero when they shouted, we want Barabbas. In our own lives, a committed faith comes only through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. One where every day is fresh and new as he personally directs our steps. In order to have a committed faith, we have to develop and maintain a personal relationship with Jesus. Never get tired of hearing it because I'm never going to stop promoting it. Amen? Third point. A committed faith is not negatively influenced by our personal trials and crises. A committed faith is not negatively influenced by our personal trials and crises. You know, that's a neat thing. I've never stood up here and told you everything's going to smell like roses. Everything's always going to be easy. There's not going to be, you know, no, no, no. Our master, they hung him on a cross. They persecuted him. And he himself said, if they persecute me, what makes you think they're not going to persecute you? Once again, at the parade, it was trendy to offer praise. Everyone was doing it. But at the trial, to speak out for Jesus was risky, possibly even life-threatening. Many of us come to Jesus expecting everything to go well. Maybe some slight bad, but not too much of it. So when the bottom drops out for us, we often ask God, why? Why? Uh, a friend of mine said, I, I remember when I get saved, you know, and he said, I didn't know anything but the King James Version. He said, I, he said, I'd run down my hallway, hit the floor at the door, and slide up to my bed on my knees and shout um, to God, why, are you do, why do you do it this to me? That's what he said, King James Version. And God answered him one day, not myth, you it. <laughs> not, not, not me. Not my, not my doing. It's you. The problem's with you. Mm. Sometimes we think it's not supposed to happen this way. I'm not, I know people have been serving God for 50 years. They're still working through the trials and tribulations of this world with God on a daily basis. You know? I, I think we're tempted at times to think, oh, Lord, haven't we been around this mountain enough? <laughs> Yep, nope, one more time around Mount Sinai, right? One more time around Mount Sinai. If our faith is based on our situations or our circumstances, it will never be committed. It will always be casual. Oh, man. Ooh, I like that. We need to frame that one. If, if our faith is based on our situations or circumstances, it will never be committed. It will always be casual. Mm. 
in my life. I've gone to a lot of Christian events. I've been to, uh, you know, I was so happy from Linda getting to go to Washington, D.C. recently. Wasn't it powerful being a part of that worship service? Well, there was an event similar to that one way back in the 1980s or 1970s, and I went to Washington, D.C., and, and, and for that one, there's probably a million people in Washington, and we had a worship service, and I'm going to tell you, there's nothing like being in a worship service with a million people. I mean, that, that's, that's awesome, isn't it, Melinda? It's awesome, right? Um, in my life, I've gone to many big Christian events, many packed large stadiums where the praises for God rock the entire arena where everyone is praising. When returning home, while everyone is still glowing from the worship, I said to the guys with me, it's easy to do that at that place, but tomorrow you face the hard task. Can you do that in a world that is not all praising? In fact, a world that is mocking, laughing, and is often angry. You've got to be able to get to the point in your life where the answer is yes. Whether you're with a million people or you're with a million mockers. Amen? A committed faith takes the good with the bad. Can you say amen? Knowing that all we are ever promised is that in the midst of both our good and bad, Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. Amen? He will stand with us. A story is told of a little girl, and here's where the dirt and the flowers comes from. A story is told of a little girl who, while walking in a garden, noticed a particularly beautiful flower. She admired its beauty and enjoyed its fragrance. It's so pretty, she exclaimed. As she gazed on it, her eyes followed the stem down to the soil in which it grew. This flower is too pretty to be planted in dirt. So she pulled it up by its roots and ran to the water faucet to wash away the soil. It wasn't long until the flower wilted and died. When the gardener saw what the little girl had done, he exclaimed, you have destroyed my finest plant. I'm sorry, but I didn't like it in that dirt, she said. The gardener replied, I chose that spot and mixed the soil because I knew that only there could it grow to be a beautiful flower. God has placed us exactly where we are. We have to trust Him. In the trusting, we eventually see that He's using our pressures and our trials and our difficulties to bring us to a new degree of spiritual beauty. True contentment comes when we accept what God is doing and thank Him for it. Today, I've got to ask this question. You have to answer this question for yourself. Is your faith casual or is it committed? As we approach this week where our Jesus suffered incredibly for us, in a week where our sins, past, present, and future, were the nails that hung Him on that cross, doesn't Jesus deserve 
a better level of commitment. Doesn't he deserve total control of our lives? Doesn't he deserve a deeper personal relationship with us? Father, in Jesus' name. I've prayed for a lot of people over the years that confessed their sins. And some of them sounded really gruesome. Some of them, I must admit, sounded really bad. Some of them were gory. Some of them make you wonder just how, how low um, human nature can stoop. But Father, in your eyes and in your nostrils, there's the stench of casual relationship with you and not committed relationship with you. And how different is that from all of those other things that we would classify as terrible and awful and ugly. Father, I get the idea that there are people in the body of Christ, including in this place today, that would immediately say, yeah, I'm convinced. I've treated my relationship with God as if it were casual, not, not deeply committed. And then at the other end of the spectrum, um, people that have served you for so many years still take these words to heart. Because we come to the realization that no, long, uh, no matter how long we've been serving you, we can go deeper. We can learn more. We can be closer. We can be more sensitive to your voice and leading in our lives. This is a message that is for everyone, Father, for the unsaved, for the casually, um, the casual servant, and the deeply committed servant. Father, we're so close, so close, and I pray about this so often and I rehearse it in the ears of your people so that even now you can be preparing their hearts, Father, for what you're going to do. What you're doing even now in these services, but what you're going to do around the altars of this church. Father, I thank you for the days when every one of our services will end with time around the altar. We can go fellowship out in the lobby and others who want to talk to you about these things that you've touched our hearts with, Lord. Only around an altar do these things begin to really change, Father. Once again, Lord, forgive us for treating our relationship with you so casually, Lord. Help us to be, by the power of your Spirit, more committed than we've ever been before. Lord, I make no apologies for the way your word affects me. I would never apologize. I'm not apologizing for the way your word breaks me because you're always there to touch me, to heal me, to gird me up. And move me forward in my personal relationship with you. The day that I cease to be touched by the words you give me, Father. Oh, Lord, never let that happen, I pray in Jesus' name. Father, we, we've, had a, we've had a wonderful day here with you, Lord. You were good to us in the worship service. You were good to us by your word. You're being good to us even this very moment because people have been touched and even now are reaching out to you in the name of Jesus. 
Some of them are even praying, Father, I don't know how to do what Pastor Dennis is talking about. All I know is that I, don't have the, I haven't had the committed personal relationship that he's referred to today, and I want to have it. Well, Lord, let's cast all the formulas out the window, and let's just encourage each other to draw closer to you and to listen carefully, and that you will tell us what you want us to do, a plan that's tailored for our lives, touching the things you want from each and every one of us. Lord, all of us should have an altar in our home, some place where we pray and reach out to you. May we all go to those places this week and linger. Just linger with you, Father. And let you touch our lives and change us. Thank you for the shed blood of Jesus Christ operating in our lives. Thank you for the Lamb's book of life. Once again, Father, as a pastor, it made my heart leap with joy to look out on this congregation today and see all of these people in this place. And this is only the beginning. I say that humbly, Father, but I know it's true. It's only the beginning. This is only the beginning. Father, as we depart from this place today, I want everyone in this room to know they're, they're loved, Father. They're loved. Thank you, Father, for touching the hearts of every person in this place. Don't let us leave here, Father, without change in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Fellowship together today before you leave. Amen?